Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toptola. For me personally, I have a series of values that I hold is important to me. I have an ethos, I have a vision, mission personally, um, and I bring that to the table no matter what environment. You're going to get that if I was in the Navy, it's going to be the same thing on my wish list or even my personal world. That is who I am. That's what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode of the PEO podcast. Today, as a guest, we have Dan Casper, the CEO of Wishlist Rewards and former Navy SEAL and Special Operations Officer. We'll be talking about leadership, building high-performance teams, and culture. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Andreas. I've been looking forward to this podcast for some time. Likewise, and as, as a quick uh, disclaimer here for the audience, Dan is a dear friend of mine, and uh, I'm also on the board of uh, the company that he's running, Wister's Rewards. So, Dan, wh why don't you start off with giving us a little background on yourself? Yeah, happy to. Uh, so, originally born and raised in Minnesota, land of the frozen tundra. I grew up there as well. Went to school. Uh, after I graduated and with a degree in business, um, I did ROTC program through through college and was an officer in the Navy. So I was in the Navy for about six and a half years. Uh, loved that piece of my life. Uh, really formulated who I am and kind of what I stand for. Was molded in that environment. Uh, made a jump from the military and landed at Airbnb. I was on their trust and safety team to help kind of build and scale operations in both North America and Asia Pacific. Love the tech space, um, but I also realized about myself, I have more of a building type personality. So I had a chance to make some moves over to Denver, where I you know, worked for this guy named Andreas and Wade. I kind of took over a wish list from them. And we're about building cultures and building people and helping to drive uh, people to, to really grow businesses through performance and through culture. So that's where we're at now. Awesome. So I, I want to go way back now. Um, you, you mentioned the special forces, you know, be, becoming part of Navy SEALs team. What was the no motivation for you? What motivated you to take that path in your life? Well, outside of the movie Top Gun, which really kind of sunk me into it. <laughs> now, it's it really the concept of, uh, of adventure. Uh, the military wasn't something that was part of my family outside of my grandparents through World War II is something that was just kind of unique to me. It was always something in the back of my mind. So really the concept of adventure, getting out in the world and seeing and doing some things I wouldn't otherwise get to do, paired with, uh, I guess, growing up in the lakes of Minnesota, my love of water kind of led me to the Navy. So I had no idea about special operations or that concept um, until I found out it was the most challenging path. And I found that out when I was in the ROT program going through college. But I've always been drawn to the road less traveled, you know, the path that very few others go down, the past with the most kind of roadblocks or things that are hard and obstacles. And, um, and so I decided to go for it. And a lot of that is because through those paths, through those places where you're really challenged is really when you learn most about yourself and when you most grow. So that is where I kind of chose to go down that path. And so I set my sights on special operations uh, in college and I refused to accept anything but forward progress towards that goal. So you, you're, you're talking about growth here, right? And I'm sure the, the initial training process of, of becoming a special forces officer was, was a big part of that. Describe us what that training looked like. What, what, what did you go through? 
Yeah, happy to. So my specialty within special operations with explosives. So I was a platoon commander uh, leading the all the explosive S experts within the SEAL teams. So my into the military was actually through ROTC. So I did that in tandem with college. Um, and during that process, it, it's uh, an application to be selected to even go into the training for that. So I was able to apply. You had to get referrals from commanding officers. You had to go through a physical training program. And luckily, or by smoke and mirrors, one of the ways uh, I was one of nine officers selected in the United States my graduating year to go into that community, or at least to train for it, to try out. And so the phases of that training was was multiple phased approach. And um, so my first stop in that journey was actually first through language school. So I went to the Defense Language Institute out of Monterey, California. Studied French of all languages. Uh, their theory was that. 32 countries in Africa speak it. However, I, of course, I landed in the Middle East and didn't use it at all. After that journey of language school, I uh, went to dive school. From there, my specialty school was bomb disposal school, which was essentially learning how to respond to IEDs, to chemical weapons, biological, nuclear, anything that has to go boom is what, what my focus was. From there, we learned to jump out of planes with the Army and over at Army Airborne School. Went to various shooting schools and then tactical school as well. So it's essentially multiple phased approach. And it took uh, about just under two years for that whole process. I heard like the success rate, and correct me if I'm wrong, of, of, of the special force training is, is, is less than 10%, right? So less than 10% that are accepted are actually making it all the way through. What was your personal keys to success here? Yeah, I mean, I think that that metric is about on point. I mean, our class size was pretty large and we graduated, uh, I think, with about nine people total in that specific training path. So it was interesting to to find that journey and kind of end up with the, the few people that you cross that stage of graduation with and get that pin on your chest. To me, it's, you know, it really comes down to the success is two things. Um, and there's multiple factors and multiple subsets, but the two things that will allow you to succeed and choose to succeed are teamwork and mental resiliency. So the teamwork concept, uh, when everyone starts training, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of uh, chaotic. Everyone's trying to push themselves forward, trying to get to the finish line first. And the instructors are ruthless when they see you working independently. But as training goes on, you learn that you have to rely on others for your own individual success and all the success of your team. And the more that the instructors started realizing and watching you work as a team, they would start backing off. And so the teamwork concept, the sooner you realize that you will never win by yourself, you will fail unless you rely on the people out you know, and around you. That was the first concept. And the second of it is, is mental resiliency. And I say mental because the physical game will break you. They will break you sooner than you care to admit. Um, you, you always think you're in good shape. You've been training for years to go through this training pipeline, but you will break and you will break frequently and you will break often. However, what gets you through is that mental piece, uh, that resiliency that says, okay, one more step, one more step. And actually, I had a mantra through my training and I probably said it probably 10 million times and it was find a way. That was my mantra that I kept on saying to myself. Um, and it's you can't look at all the training. You basically said, how am I doing right now? Find a way, find a way. And so that was my mantra to really to choose to win and kind of break down in micro environments to, to kind of push through. So that was that was at least my key to success it was a teamwork piece. And then also, how can you survive mentally? Find a way. Lo love, love that mantra. If you look at those those different components, right? You, you talked about like, you know, the, the, the physical aspect, obviously, like people can train for that. On the mental side, building resilience, do you believe that this is one of those things that are innately born? Can that be trained? What, what have you seen there? Um, I think it is. I think it's both. But I would say mostly it is something that can be taught. I mean, much like you, you do an Ironman, you've done Ironmans in your past. And that's something that 
isn't easy to do. You can train for it, but at the end of the day, there's so many factors that feed into it. So to me, it's being comfortable with being uncomfortable and just a mental acceptance of pain and a choosing to succeed. I mean, I think that's it. It's really a choice. Um, and it comes down to a bunch of micro choices along the way to really push through. So I think it's, it is something that can be trained for. I think people potentially have a higher aptitude or knack for it innately, but it's something that really can be trained and, and really harnessed out of an environment. And then like holistically, like special operations teams are considered best in class. From your point of view, what are the foundations for high-performing teams? And maybe how do you translate some of these lessons that you learned during your time with the special forces on the business side? Yeah, I mean, it, very interesting question. Is it's it's that connection has been an interesting journey for me too. But you know, I I was really molded in a place. The Navy was was really foundational for who I am. I was molded in a place where teams were literally life and death, and being crafted in an environment where it was really that high stakes is something that I still take with me. Um, and to some degree, people, which is really the foundation, in my opinion, to high performing teams. That's it. It's about the people you have in your organization, the talent they bring to the table. And that is the really the foundational concept to all high performing teams is the people you have on your bus. And so that's an interesting thing. And it's something that I also take with me. Um, you know, what makes a high performing team in the, in the Navy is, is the same concepts that make a high performing team in the business world. A quote comes to mind by the name of Zig Ziglar. And we have it, um, you know, in our product as well here at Wishlist. But he says, hey, you don't build a business. You build people and the people build the business. So in my opinion, you know, that team's concept is equally as life and death to the overall organization as it was in the Navy. May not, maybe not, you're not physically threatened, but if you want a sustainable, high growth, high performing organization, it really first starts with the people that you have on board. And so that's an interesting piece that I always try to articulate too, is the same concepts that I've been working with from the special operations community are the same concepts here that I'm using at Wishlist. I just go about it in a different way. So in my opinion, if you want a high performing team, you need a couple of different elements. And, and the first thing you need, always need to do, uh, and again, in my opinion, is you start with yourself. You are the foundation for all the change that you want to see in the world. And so it's you can't just go out and say, okay, these are the changes and not make that change yourself. But first looking internally, what do I need to do as a team leader? What do I need to do as a department head or, or the CEO of the organization to really craft an environment to allow high performance. I think the next piece to that is, is getting the right people on board, getting the right people with the right backgrounds, with the right skill set, with the right mentalities. And then once you have them, it's about setting that mission and determining the why. Why do people, where are we going? What are we trying to accomplish in the world? What gets us out of bed in the morning? What gives us that energy to work those extra hours, put in the extra effort? And what of change are we trying to create? I mean, teams are out to accomplish something. They're not just social clubs. There are, of course, social clubs, but in the business world, you're out to, to accomplish something. So what is our mission? What are we out to accomplish? And then finally, that last piece to me is aligning and adjusting. And that I also I think is a key piece because you know they, there's a saying in the Navy, the best plan goes out the window as soon as the first bullets fly. Right. And that's true in the business world too. You could have the best component, but things will always change. The environment change, your team changes. And so how can we align as a team to work in the same direction, but also be able to adapt? A lot of what you said absolutely resonates, right? Around people, about like building these high-performing high uh, teams. How do you think about, from, from your own perspective, about leadership? And is it an approach that changes over time, changes based on different situations? Tell us more about your personal leadership style. Yeah, so, so my concept of leadership and how I define it and my goal is to truly inspire others around me 
to change and create lasting change themselves, no matter their environment or challenge. So a lot of it is uh, allowing kind of removing obstacles and being an inspiration to others to want to create that change themselves, because that's where lasting change happens is internally. You can't force that upon others. So how I think about leadership is I'm really critical of leaders. I think there is a true difference between leaders and managers um, and what that entails. For me personally, I have a series of values that I hold is important to me. I have an ethos. I have a vision, mission personally. Um, and I bring that to the table no matter what environment. You're going to get that. If I was in the Navy, it's going to be the same thing in my wish list or even in my personal world. That is who I am. That's what you're going to get. Now, with that said, I do craft and adapt my strategies based upon the environment while still adhering to those values. Uh, so for example, I was a bit more direct in the Navy and there was uh, a couple of different things that I did differently in those environments uh, than I'm doing here at Wishlist. But again, it's coming from the same set of core values. And, and so that's kind of how I approach the space of leadership. And my goal is to really allow people to create lasting change themselves. You mentioned a little bit earlier the, the, the importance of getting A players in, right? The organization mm -hmm. really, you know, in order for, for the organization to scale. What are your recommendations for our audience to get phenomenal people into the organization? Obviously, we all see this, this war of talent going on, right? It, it's hard to find really, really good people. What, what are your recommendations to get the right people in? I think there's a few things that you should look for in crafting a team that's going to be a high-performing team. The first thing, and it's also uh, becoming increasingly important and at least more on radars, is the concept of diversity. I mean, I think diversity is absolutely critical to high-performing teams. Now, diversity has multiple facets to that and what that looks like. But overall, you want people that have different backgrounds that look different, that think different, that are different, because that adds a piece to the puzzle. You know, even if you look at uh, the special operations team, each person has a specialty that has a different background, a different lens, and you apply that as a team. And now you have different people looking for different things with different lenses. And the sum of all those ports is greater than each of those individually. So I'm extremely, you know, interested in that concept and what it does through different lenses to propel organizations forward. So you want people to think different, period. I think, and kind of feeding into that is my next concept is you want independent thinkers. And to me, this is really critical. You want people to understand their environment, to read and react, understand where the mission is and where you're moving towards, but also apply their own logic. There's so there's millions of scenarios that can happen in each person's every day. And you want them to be able to make those decisions within their swim lanes. So give them a why, understand where they're going, give them a swim lane of where to operate in. And then essentially get out of their way. Let them think. Let them reason. You're hiring smart people for a reason. They have a different perspective, a different lens. So I think independently thinking through scenarios is absolutely critical. And the third piece is just an overall growth mindset. I think that's super critical to creating these high-performing teams and a desire to learn and a desire to be better with themselves, You know, to never really fully be satisfied with what they're doing and what they're accomplishing with themselves and just desire to be better. Um, in all cases, that's uh, it's an addicting thing to have on your team when everyone together pushes themselves to become better. So I, I think those are the three pieces that really come to mind in terms of what people should be looking for when building a team. A lot of what, what, what you're outlining here, if, if I would kind of like summarize that uh, in my head, it sounds like, okay, this is this is how you can build a great culture as well. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to I wanna hear it from, from your perspective, like how do you define culture, right? It's, it's a term mm -hmm. that's, that's often used, right? What, what does it mean to you? And then at Wishlist, how do you build that culture and how do you live it? 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think it is somewhat close. You want the right people in the organization. You have to look for a piece. But then culture is also, and you know, in my opinion, and it's a series of normalized behaviors within a group. And you're going to have a culture whether you, you're intentional about it or not. And so the key, I think, for leaders is to really craft intentionally the people and also what you want your culture to be. Um, and there's a few different factors, in my opinion, that feed into building a great culture. And the first is extremely foundational to any relationship, and that's trust. You need to be able to trust the people that are on your team. If you don't have trust, everything else that you're trying to build upon will crumble. And I think, well, they're like, oh, damn, well, how do you build trust? And, and to me, I've done a lot of thinking about that. And I always respond, hey, make what's important to the other person important to you, whether that be their role or whether it be personally, that key trust can be built by merely making what's important to them important to you. I think another piece is ownership. People want to have an impact. They want to see and be able to make decisions and change. And so again, this is key to understanding the vision and the why behind the organization, but then give them something to own, give them something that they're able to make decisions. And I think that having the ownership culture, whether that be its successes or equally important as failures, is owning that behavior and owning those responsibilities and performance. I think adaptability is absolutely key to a successful culture. And that ties in with the concept of resiliency, being able to remove maneuver throughout the multiple variables that everyone encounters on a daily or weekly basis, and to be comfortable in those uncomfortable moments, use them as opportunities, as a stepping stones, like challenges. People can either deal with it by saying, I can't deal with it, or they can see them as challenges to really become better. And I think that's key to having a, cult, a great culture is having that adaptability and resiliency as well. Tell us more about like what Wishlist uh, provides in terms of value to, to its clients. Absolutely. So Wishlist is in the HR space, HR technology space, human resources space, specifically rewards and recognition. And so what we're out to accomplish, our mission is to amplify company performance through igniting the power of people. And so we have core human concepts, the human psychology that's been around for millennia, the core human connection pieces that trust, the impact, the love and belonging need that's in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We then in turn digitize that. So teams that are now working remote or in various environments or leverage technology to really have those four human concepts that are digitized. And third, we're also linking that to business performance. And I think that's a huge gap and so important. As I mentioned before, businesses are out to accomplish something and we want to show culture because it also builds business performance. So that's the tool that we're creating. Uh, historically, we've helped organizations reward their employees for birthdays, anniversaries, performance. And what we did differently is instead of doing plaques or trophies, we're very passionate about experiences, about the memories that can be made, stories that can be told, and how that connects to the overall employer brand. So our rewards are currently consisted of about 5,000 experiences. So think driving Ferraris, skydiving, brewery tours. But we're also in the middle of this evolution. And this evolution is essentially, we realize that rewards are very important, but there's a broader problem to be solved out there. And so we looked out in the space and we saw other competitors in the experiential reward place. They didn't really have that connection to... Um, the why of the business, the mission, the business performance, and their recognition solutions out there, they didn't have, in our opinion, meaningful rewards, nor did they really connect to the overall modern workforce as a lot of solutions haven't changed in the past decade, even though the demographics of the workforce have changed significantly in the past you know, year or two alone. So we've actually recently launched a new product. It's really built for this exact environment that we find ourselves in, post-COVID environment, people working remotely. The future of work has changed. And now it's really exciting to be in the people space in a time where people need it most. Yeah, and you just mentioned pandemic. How has the rewards and recognition market changed during the, the pandemic specifically? What do you expect now for the future? 
Really interesting question and one that you know, we've spent a lot of time trying to understand what's going on so we can be best advocates for our clients and users. But you know, there's really never been a time in modern history where organizations have had the strength and the resiliency of their culture tested or exposed more than now. 2020 and, and you know, the aftershocks of the environment that we had worked through last year are really shaking organizations to their core. We're seeing that employees uh, can feel unappreciated, unsupported, and alone. They want to see their impact on the organization, even though they're working remotely. They need that sense of community and belonging, which is so core to the human condition. But they also want appreciation. They want to feel seen and heard for the work that they're doing, even though they may not be in the office. Conversely, the companies that we're seeing are also scrambling to adapt to this new era of work, which has changed significantly in the past year. They've been companies I've worked super hard to keep build a culture, which we just talked about. It's about high performance. They want to keep it alive, but they also want to understand performance. At the same time, it's 2021. There's technology available on the market that is really revolutionary, especially in the people space. And so they want to be able to automate and customize. And they essentially want to create an environment where employees are doing the best work of their life because they know that pushes the business forward. So, um, you know, saying something bold, if, if organizations haven't changed how they're approaching their people and supporting their people and culture in the past year, they're going to experience some type of issues because the environment is so vastly different. And this feeds into the adaptability of strong performing teams and leaders. The environment has changed, so we as organizations need to change. And that's, you know, the, really the future of work has changed. Successful companies are really altering their behaviors in some capacity to meet the new needs. And so some of the concepts that I think are important to look for in the solutions, whether that be wishlist or any people solutions, because, you know, that's what we want to do is, of course, it's through wishlist, but some things to keep in mind, regardless of what solution you're going for, is understand and look for impact-based solutions. You want, you know, currencies are out there, points-based systems are out there, but you want to see the impact. And that's really the key to the changing demographics of who's in the workspace is how can I see how my work, my team's work has an impact on the organization? How is it impacting our values? And what is that doing for us? I think another important capacity is looking at power of choice. What is meaningful for one person may not be for others. Again, diverse audiences are diverse teams. We want to make sure we have solutions on the reward side, but also just in general to the business to allow people to make decisions. I think understanding how people are working together, even though people and businesses are remote, remote is super important. So collaboration mapping, understanding, hey, maybe that new hire that you just hired is really the core of your communications or your strategy within a team, or maybe that manager that you've had really is kind of on an island. So understanding how people are fitting into your organization uh, through technology, I think is important. And then also diversity inclusion that fits in not on how you're building your team, but it can also fit into making sure that I'm including others on my team that have various perspectives and thoughts. It's going to help accelerate your team. It's going to help you understand to making sure the voice of your team is heard as well from an executive level. A lot of our audience are leaders you know, from POs, uh, HR leaders. Many people are looking for great talent right, in the market right now. What are the best ways if somebody wants to hire from the special forces? Are there, are there any resources, any organization that, that you can uh, recommend? Yes, uh, great question. And I'm extremely excited about the talent coming out of the military, specifically special operations environment. Um, and the reason being, especially for tech environments, is the environments are strikingly similar. People always ask you, how did you make that jump? Well, the environments are close enough where you're working in global environments with new technology that hasn't been used before. You have limited resources. It's high impact, diverse teams. So I could go on and on, but the environments are very similar. So I highly, highly recommend chatting with somebody in the special operations community or broader or military in general, 
you're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised about the impacts they've had from a young age, the budgets they've dealt with, the decisions they've had to make in their history are pretty fantastic. I personally went through an organization that was life-changing for me. It was called the Honor Foundation. You can check it out, thehonorfoundation.org. But it helps special operations personnel through a phased approach to get paired up with top-notch organizations. Uh, they have executive coaching, MBA style. Um, you learn you know, what your skill sets are. You learn how to articulate your experience to people in the civilian sector. But there's some phenomenal talent coming out, out of that organization. So highly recommend checking them out. And, and if you're looking for some great talent in the tech space, startup space, you're going to be surprised by what's coming out of there. The Honor Foundation. Thank you. If somebody wants to reach out to you personally, has any, any kind of follow-up questions, what's the best way to find you and connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn is perfect. So just go to, I'm under Dan Casper with a K, type Dan Casper wishlist and I'll, my mean mug will pop up there and would love to connect and, and have a follow-on conversations. It was a privilege. Thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Really enjoyed our conversation. Appreciate it, Andreas. It's a great opportunity in mind as well. And, and, and thanks for all you're doing on the Thrive Pass side. The wellness space is, is really changing. And I think your approach specifically is really unique. So thanks for hosting me. Thank you, sir. Bye now. Cheers. This podcast is sponsored by Thrive Pass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. Thrive Pass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is the PO Podcast. We'll see you next time.